My name is Aaron, a teaching pastor here at Riverwood. Uh, it's a pleasure to get to come and bring the scriptures to you. Uh, however, I will confess right at the beginning, just a little nervous about this passage. You've already heard it once. It's not an easy one. And so I'm going to start by sharing a story from my freshman year of high school. I had a crush on Amy Erickson, yet I didn't want anyone to know because I was this 95-pound weakling that everyone made fun of. I mean, I got made fun of for having a girl's first name. I got made fun of because my last name rhymed with nerd and turd. I got made fun of for how short I was. I got made fun of for being one of the smartest in my class. I mean, I basically got made fun of for living. So I knew that if I let people know that I liked Amy, I would get made fun of. Because how would a nerdy little guy like that get that cute girl? I mean, Amy always seemed to be able to get a boyfriend. How in the world would that guy? So I, I kept it quiet. I didn't want anyone to know. And so it was hard because I had a lot of classes with Amy. And so if conversation came up about girls, I tried to stay really quiet because I didn't want anything to come up about my crush on Amy. And if even the conversation turned to Amy herself, I tried to ignore it. In fact, I even tried to just ignore her because I didn't want to give up any vibes that I had a crush on Amy. So then on that Sunday morning, I'm at church, and Kara walks up to me, and we start talking, and all of a sudden she gets this little twinkle in her eye, and she goes, and Amy Erickson? And in that moment, I think I made a Coca-Cola can look pink. My face went so red. Like, I was exposed. Like, someone knew. How did she know? And suddenly, it was like my red face became this beacon of light announcing, I have a crush on Amy Erickson. Now, I tell you that story because today, my face might turn red. Today, my weakness gets exposed. I wish today I was one of those kind of pastors and preachers who had a, a conviction that I could just do topical type series where we could go and do a sermon series on money and then go and do one on, you know, marriage and do one on just whatever I wanted so that I could go and conveniently avoid passages like this today. But because I don't think I'm that good and I prefer for us to walk through the scriptures trying to teach you how to go and read it for yourself, it forces us to come today to a passage that might make some of us uncomfortable. It, it might make us kind of wonder about life. Like, we may fear that something is about to be exposed. Because in my life, the thorn in my flesh is lust. L last week, we talked about anger. I confessed, I admitted, I have struggled with anger in the past. You know, I've, I've lost it with my kids. I've, I've not been kind to my wife. I, I've, you know, had rage inside. But yet, that is not my deepest, darkest sin. I, I don't struggle with anger on a regular basis. And so, it was easy to go and talk about. Some people, they struggle with money. That is their weakness. And yet, yes, I, there's times where I wish I had more. I confessed last week, I have two rusty minivans. I would like a little more money to replace them. But that's not my deepest struggle. Some people struggle with addictions. Uh, some people, it's maybe it's, you know, addiction to their job, or, or maybe it's gossip. And, and yes, I've struggled in those areas as well. But nothing compares to the struggle that I have had with lust. And we're about to go and talk about it today. And it can be uncomfortable. What we're going to, though, see 
is that we all struggle with lust. Now, if you want, we could take a step back. Jeff alluded to this uh, during the welcome, that, that there's this idea of lust that it's tied with sex. But there is other types of lust. If you go and look in the dictionary, you would see one of the definitions of lust. You know, it relates with sex, but you would also see that it's just an unhealthy craving, a passionate craving for something. And so you might hear people say that he has a lust for power or a lust for money, or in my case, maybe a lust for ice cream. You know, we all have, struggle with these lusts. And there is, there is something to that. We address here regularly how we often try to find this fulfilling and longing in these things, but they aren't what we're truly after. I believe God has created us with cravings. However, the thing he's created us to crave is him. But what so often happens through sin, we end up craving after the things that God gives us rather than craving him who gives us these things. And so what we do is we turn these things into an ultimate. So we take good things, turn them into ultimate things, and that's a bad thing. And today, we're going to hear how we are not to go and crave someone else's body. To just look at them as an object for our own sexual gratification. You see, Jesus, while he knows that we lust for all sorts of things, in today's passage, he's going directly at the topic of sexual lust, because I'm not the only one who struggles with this. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they took those fateful bites of the forbidden fruit, sin entered in, and it infected everything, which means that sin has also infected our sex lives. And my 18-year-old daughter, about a year ago, wrote a blog post pointing out that even though she is a virgin, she is still sexually broken because sin has infected everything. And so in our sexual brokenness, it often leads us into sexual lust. And that's why Jesus addresses this issue. Because it's not just like a 21st century issue. It's a human issue. But here's where it gets really uncomfortable. Because Jesus doesn't just address the issue and then give us some nice little platitudes of how we can kind of overcome it. As we're going to see today, Jesus is going to get very violent in his language. If we were to actually turn the words that he says into a movie, it would have to be rated R just because of the blood and the gore and the guts. Like, it's stomach-turning type stuff. It's uncomfortable. It's unexpected coming from meek and mild Jesus. And yet, sometimes it's exactly what we need to hear. Because Jesus is trying to grab hold of our attention and help us see that this isn't just something that comes outward. It's something that's happening inward. And he's trying to get down to the heart. Because the reason Jesus came was to help reach the spiritually disconnected and take their broken and imperfect lives and restore them into the perfect, complete image of Jesus. That they would be reconnected with their God. But if we are struggling with lust, we are not being able to connect with God because we are not honoring the imago Dei that is in someone else. And so therefore, it affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with others because we're not loving them like Jesus would love them when we're lusting after them. So we have to have not just a change outwardly, we have to have a change inwardly. And that's why Jesus gets so violent. So let's pray. So Jesus, I just pray right now that as we look at your words that you uttered so long ago and yet continue to resonate through time through the power of your scriptures, 
that they would speak directly into hearts and minds. So, Lord, I pray for anyone right now that this is like me, their hidden sin, that, that they are really uncomfortable right now. They don't want to hear this because they're about to get exposed and they're afraid that their face is going to turn red. And right now, would your grace just cover them and help them to be able to sit and to listen, that this wouldn't just be what Aaron wants to say. This would ultimately be about what you have to say to them because you love them. These are your people, your images on them, and you want to restore them so that you can use them for your glory and it's for their joy. So God, help us to wrestle with this. Help us to lean in and to listen and to go and do whatever is necessary to let you kill this lust that's within us. So Father, help us to hear your words now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we will be in Matthew chapter 5 today, Matthew 5. So if you are not already open to it, go ahead and turn there in your Bible or your Bible app. Uh, we are going to do verses 27 through 30. All right, we've already heard it once, but let's look at it again. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Last week, as we were uh, starting that topic on anger, we saw that Jesus is beginning a pattern here for, for the next few topics. And, and he starts by saying, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And, and when he's doing that, he's moving from the letter of the law to the heart of the law. And, and so he starts with the law saying, you've heard it said. And in this case, he starts with the seventh commandment out of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. It, all of them would have known this. All right? Jesus is saying, this is the law, this is wrong. He's drawn their attention. Now, when you hear the word adultery, you know that this is like married couples who have sex with other people who aren't their spouse. That's usually what we think of when we think of adultery. But I think it goes beyond just that. I, I remember sitting with, um, I'm pretty sure it was my daughter, Karis, and I think it was the story of David and Bathsheba that came up. If you're not familiar with the story, it's where David, instead of being out with his men, his army, out on the battlefield, he stays back home at the castle, and he sees this really beautiful woman out bathing. He inquires. He goes and gets her. Turns out she's married to someone else, but so what? He's the king. So he takes her for himself, and it begins a whole, you know, ramification of things. We're reading that story, and my daughter's like, what's adultery? It's like, well, uh, how do you explain this to a three-year-old? I guess it's it's when a husband acts like someone else is his wife. She's like, why would someone do that? Well, good question. We all know this instinctively. If you were to go out to a restaurant and see one of your male coworkers, and he's sitting at a table with a woman that you know is not his wife, and yet the way they're touching each other across the table, they're playing footsie underneath, the way they're looking at each other, the way they're dressed, you know this is not just a business meeting. And you would conclude, he's having an affair. And you might even use the word adultery. It, it, it means that you're taking marriage and you're taking one of them out and you're trying to create this other person acting as if they are your spouse. Which means it also includes sex. 
And when Jesus's audience heard him say, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, their mind would not have gone to love notes passed between neighbors. It would have gone to a husband going and taking a woman who's not his wife into bed. And so that's what they're going at. And they all know that's the law. That's wrong. That's been there for thousands of years. And so they're all sitting there going, uh-huh, it's wrong. Some of them, as they're listening, possibly have committed the sin of adultery. But even though they've done it, they would say, yep, according to God, it's wrong. And then this is where Jesus shocks them. He says, but I tell you, well, let's read it for ourselves. Verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, Adultery does not start between the sheets. Adultery starts between the ears. It starts with the look, and that look gets prolonged, and that prolonged look turns into a thought, and that thought begins to go to places where you begin trying to take someone who's not yours and begin to fantasize what it would be like. And Jesus is saying, that's where it starts. That's where the sin is. And so he wants to help us He knows that this sin keeps us disconnected from God, and it keeps us from honoring the imago Dei that is in someone else. So he's saying, you have to get violent against it. And so the way we're going to put it today is that Jesus is going to have us ask lust out. Now, I know that sounds really, really funny. Sounds like you're asking lust to go on a date. Or or maybe you're just going to politely say, oh, hey, lust— Apparently, Jesus doesn't like you, and so we can't see each other anymore. So would you please leave? No, no, that's not what he's saying at all. To ask lust out means that we need to intensely avoid lust, we need to starve lust, and we need to kill lust. We need to avoid it, to starve it, and to kill it. All right, so first, avoid it. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away. Pretty violent language, huh? But is Jesus really telling us to gouge out our eye? Anyone here have chameleon eyes? No, I'm looking around. Nope, don't see it. All right? If you look at the video, you can see that this chameleon can look behind him and in front of him at the same time. His eyes work pretty independently of one another. The reason that looks kind of freaky to us is because our eyes don't work that way at all. If I were to say, look at the speaker over here, your eyes work in tandem together. You don't have one eye look at the speaker and the other eye stays on me. No, you work together. So when Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, he's using hyperbole. He's, he's going so far and making you realize, oh, yeah, your right eye can't just operate independently. He's helping you see, no, this is a sin of the heart. This is not what God wants for you. So he's not actually saying gouge out your eyes. I think he is saying, though, to tear out lust. One of the ways that you can tear out lust is to avoid it. Maybe you know that there are ways, places, people, that it's, it's going to creep up within you. And so maybe you can go and avoid those places. For instance, maybe you've got a neighbor that is just really attractive to you. And yet, They're not your spouse. They're married. You're married. And so you just can't do it. So avoid it. For instance, 
if he's out mowing the lawn, that might not be the time to go and check the mail. Avoid the situation. Or, or maybe some friends at work are saying, hey, let's, let's go out to the bar. And yet you just know that the way people dress when they go to the bar, it, it just, it does something in you. It makes you uncomfortable. It, it makes you lust. So maybe you need to avoid the bar. Or, or maybe there's a certain person or a group of people that are always at the gym at the same time and just the way they dress, it just does something in you. And so avoid that time. Find a different time. Cut it out. Tear it out. Avoid the situation. Maybe for some of you, it's avoiding Instagram or, or Vine. Maybe there's certain images, certain places. that It just does something. So tear it out. Yeah, it means sacrifice. So if you need to go to lengths to avoid it, do so. Because this is crucial to your connection with God. So if it means cutting the cable, do it. Get rid of Netflix, do it. Don't bring the romance novels home. Avoid the things that are going to cause this lust within you. So avoid it. Tear it out. The next thing we see Jesus say is to starve it. Actually, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Again, your right hand does not have a brain. You're not going to find yourself some night surfing channels, you know, looking at, watching things, and all of a sudden you look over and your right hand is strangling the cat, okay? It's not going to happen, okay? You're going to strangle the cat because your brain says, I can't stand this animal anymore. Your hand is not going to act independently. So Jesus is not advocating actually chopping it off. He's grabbing hold of your attention, saying, listen up. This is serious. Cut it off. A few years ago, I was at a conference where a pastor and his wife was on stage with him, and he was sharing some of his story. And when he was a youth pastor and and he met his wife, they get married, but he didn't tell her. He had a deep addiction to pornography. He, He couldn't stop looking at it. Like, it was happening two, three times a day. And, and it was affecting him in multiple ways. And finally, he came clean to his wife. It caused deep damage and hurt, but they began to work on it together. And one of the things they decided, and actually she said he's the one who decided this, was that he decided he could not watch any movie that had any sort of female nudity in it. And so he just cut it off. And so he, from the stage, he began to name all these movies like, oh, I'm a man's man. I'd love to watch this one and this one and this one because this one has fighting and this one's about sports. And oh, I'd love to watch these. But I looked at the reviews and there's naked women in it. And when I watch it, it does something within me. It makes me want to go and do some other things. I know I shouldn't. This doesn't honor God. It doesn't honor my wife. And so for the sake of this, I'm going to starve it. I'm going to cut it off. Maybe for you to starve it is to stick an internet filter on a home or, or add some accountability software to your computer. And maybe starving it is, um, <clears throat> is to cut off certain relationships. Maybe, maybe like we've already said, maybe it's cutting off Netflix or, or cutting out certain magazines or certain websites. Do what you need to. Starve it. Because when you starve it, it will wither. Napoleon said that an army marches on its stomachs. If you can cut off their food supply, they get weak, they get tired, and you can go and defeat them. So do it to lust. Starve it. Cut it off. Do what's necessary. Because this is critical for your relationship with God and your relationship with others. But then, did you notice in both verses 29 and 30, Jesus mentions hell. 
he's saying that it's better to, you know, get, get into the kingdom of God, better to go through life with, with, you know, one less eye or one less hand than to get, you know, to keep it all intact, but to go to hell. And this, this is getting really graphic now. Why does he do that? Well, Jesus came to reconnect people to God. You see, sin broke the relationship between the creator and, and his creation. And so Jesus came to repair that back. And so death is really a separation. And, and so sin keeps us separated from God. And hell is the place of eternal death. And Jesus does not want anyone there. He came to bring people back to the Father, to restore that relationship. And that's why he brings up hell here, because this is serious. Lust is very damaging to our relationship with God and with others. That means that if you're trying to avoid it, and this stuff just continues to creep up, you're trying to starve it, and yet it's still there, maybe you need to go farther and kill it. Now, I have tried to kill lust. And what I have noticed in my life is that the more I focus on killing it, the more I just continue to focus on it. And so I've learned a couple things through the study of scriptures and through life. That probably the best ways to kill lust is to kill it through the scriptures and to kill it through replacement. First, kill it with scripture. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were tempted by Satan to eat of the forbidden fruit. And God had already spoken his word, saying, do not eat of the fruit of this tree. But they gave in to the sin. But then when the second Adam, Jesus, is in a desert, and Satan comes and begins to tempt him, he does respond with God's word. In fact, three times Satan tries to tempt him, at least as far as we know. Maybe there were more. But of the three that are recorded in Scripture, Every single time, Jesus responded with Scripture. And so when you are tempted with sexual lust, why shouldn't we respond with Scripture as well? And so maybe you could take a Scripture like 1 Corinthians 10, 30, uh, 13, which says, uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And so suddenly you start feeling tempted, and you can remind yourself, you know what, what I am facing right now, what I'm feeling, this isn't weird. This isn't different. I'm not alone in this battle. Others have done it. But not only that, God is faithful. So he's with you in it, and he will help you through it. And so begin to pray. And in fact, it says that he's going to provide a way of escape. So start praying, God, you're here with me. You are faithful. What's my way of escape? Maybe it's just prayer right then and there. Maybe God's saying, pick up the phone and call someone. Say, hey, I'm struggling right now at this moment. Find some way to kill it. Quote scripture, pray through it, and attack that lust. Uh, another verse is Colossians 3.5. It reminds us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly. And, and so think about lust. Lust is sexual immorality. It's impure. It's this earthly passion. It's this uh, evil desire. It's, it's coveting something that shouldn't be yours. And so this is a form of idolatry. I mean, this describes lust right there. So start praying through it. Quote it. Let God's word attack right at the problem. Cut it off, kill it, and let it wither. There are so many scriptures that can help you. In fact, I'll just invite the uh, ushers right now to hand out a little eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Um, I wish I had time to make it pretty, but I found a church that had this, and so I just printed it off. Um, it comes from a book that I've read. It's by Josh Harris, and it's called Sex is Not the Problem, Lust is. 
And in, in there, chapter 9, he simply shares some lies that we often believe about lust and how to attack it with Scripture. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to take the, those Scriptures and uh, memorize them. Not all of them, but, but simply try to attack it. Maybe find the one that really resonates with you. And that way then, when you start to stumble, when you start to give in to lust, you can begin to quote that Scripture and share it back to God and let him continue his transformative work in you. So go ahead and, and memorize those. Pick one of them out. Use it to attack uh, lust. Kill it with Scripture. But the other thing that you can do is to kill it with replacement. Because I've noticed in my life that when one thing goes, it often gets backfilled with something else. And so rather than just try to kill lust, and then just allow anything and everything in, why not be intentional about it? Go ahead and replace it. And I think the best thing you can replace it with is the gospel. I think you can go and remind yourself of what Jesus did on a cross and how that plays into the lust that you're wrestling with. And as you then allow that truth in, you're replacing it. So one, one uh, idea, you're listening to the radio, right? A lot of the popular music out there they're singing about how hot the girl is, about how great last night was, how you want to make tonight like that. And it starts doing something in you. So why not flip it to something that's more Christ-centered? Something that's going to remind you of who Jesus is, what he did on a cross, and how much God loves you, and how he wants something better for you than for you to just fantasize about someone else giving their body to you. So replace it. Find some things that help you remember who Christ is and his love for you so that you're not going back to these things. And as you replace it, you begin to find that lust begins to wither up and die in your life. So avoid it, starve it, and kill it. And kill it with scripture, and kill it with replacement. A few months ago, I was uh, listening to an interview with a guy named John Burke. Uh, John's a pastor of Gateway Community Church in Austin, Texas, and his latest book is called Imagine Heaven. I haven't read it yet, but the interview really, really fascinated me. In the book, uh, well, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a whole proliferation of books about people who've died and gone to heaven, or a couple books about people who've actually gone to hell and have come back. And so they've had these, what they would describe as near-death experiences. And some of these people actually say, no, I was, I was dead. John got kind of curious. He became fascinated by this because John found Jesus at his own father's deathbed. As his dad was dying, there was a book on the, sh the shelf that someone had left. And so John picked it up, began to read it, and through that, he learned who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and it changed his life. And so because John's most significant moment in his life of finding Jesus happened at the deathbed of his dad, he's always been intrigued by these stories of near-death experiences and wondering what people went through, curious about his father. So John began to interview some of these people. He ended up interviewing over 100 people who had near-death experiences. Some of them Christians, some of them from other religions, some people not religious at all. But he began to find these interviews and interview them himself. Well, in the interview that I was listening to, he described talking with one woman who said that she died and when she goes to heaven and she's standing there with Jesus and all of a sudden her life began to play. I don't know if it was in the sky or on a screen, but she began to almost like watch a movie of her life. And when I heard that, I suddenly inserted myself in her place. I have no idea if that's really going to happen. 
I, I can't find anything in the scripture that says, yeah, when you get to heaven, you get to watch a movie of your life. But I began to wonder, what would that be like? I began to imagine there'd be some really good moments. I get to see my marriage. I get to see my kids. I get to see Riverwood. I get to see some great things that God did through my life. But then there'd be those moments where my face would turn red. And I'd start saying, no, 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 no. I don't want anyone to see this. Because that's my lust. That's my weakest sin. I don't want anyone to know. And it hit me that I can't go back and change the past, but I can begin to move into a preferred future. Where I can come to a moment where I begin to want to lust, to give in, to do something. And all of a sudden I have the reminder, but do you want that in your movie? Then another thought hit me. The woman in her interview with John said that as she's watching her movie, Jesus was right there with her. Suddenly, as I put myself in her shoes, I realized that even when my worst moments, my most embarrassing moments are playing on that screen, Jesus is putting his arm around me and he's saying, Aaron, I covered that. You're good. I got it. You're forgiven. If you are struggling with lust, maybe it's a different sin. I just want you to know that if that is true, and you're going to stand there in the presence of God, and your life's going to be playing before him, you're going to get to see some good moments. The moment you found Jesus, the moment maybe you got married, a kid, a, you know, a, a big accomplishment. In that moment, you're going to look at Jesus and be like, wow, thank you. Because you're going to realize that was a gift from him. Then when that embarrassing moment begins to play and your face wants to turn red, I want you to realize Jesus puts his arm around you and says, I covered that. You're good. Because he went to the cross and he died for your sin. Which means you do not have to give in to the temptation of lust. You can actually be free. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Jesus encourages us, tear it out, avoid it, cut it off, starve it. And if you need to, get aggressive and kill it. Because the gospel is worth it. These people that he's put around you are worth it. And he loves you. And he doesn't want you being tied up by that. He wants you to be free. He wants you to realize he did it. If you're here and you don't have that connection with God yet, you do not have an intimate relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you as we sing this next song, maybe you don't sing the words, maybe you pray. Maybe you spend a little bit of time just talking to him and saying, Jesus, I realize you died on the cross for me. I have done some things that I am embarrassed by, and yet you died for it. So because you died for me, I want to now give my life to follow you. So Father, I just pray right now you would help each and every one of us, whether it's lust or some other sin, that we would realize that your arm is around us and you're saying, I've covered it. I got this. You're good. Thank you for this amazing grace. We don't deserve it. And yet it was out of your love for us that Jesus, you went and paid it all so that we could be free of these things. 
So Jesus, would you just do the deep work in us? Just pray for anyone else in here who's, who's like me, that lust is their deepest, darkest, most embarrassing sin. Jesus, you've paid it. We're free. We don't have to be chained to it any longer. Help us to apply your scripture into our life. Help us to, to replace it with the gospel. Help, help us to, to cut it off, to, to be willing to sacrifice whatever because you are worth it. You gave your life for us, so help us to just give our life to follow you. So empower us, aid us, and remind us how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.